Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. On Sunday evenings, we have been doing a series of lessons on the Sermon on the Mount. So we will continue that this evening. We have um, come to verse 21, and we're going to spend tonight talking about our Lord's teaching on a few subjects. What, for the benefit of those who haven't been here, um, a theme that we're carrying throughout is this idea of the kingdom of heaven. When our Lord began his ministry, even before that, when John the Baptist came on the scene, the message that he was preaching was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then as our Lord begins his ministry, he says the very same thing, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And by the time we come to Matthew chapter 5 and the, the famous Beatitudes that he begins with in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look there in chapter 5 and verse 3, he says, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this idea of the kingdom of heaven is very important. It is all throughout our Lord's ministry. And it is especially important when we look at the Sermon on the Mount as we see these lessons on the kingdom of heaven. And we can use that to kind of divide up the Sermon on the Mount. It can be broken up into this very broad categories here. The first um, category talking about citizens of the kingdom. We see those in the first 16, chap uh, first 16 verses of chapter 5. And then from the middle of chapter 5 through partway into chapter 7 is the righteousness within the kingdom. And that's part of what we're going to be looking at tonight. And then the end of his, of his lesson there uh, from chapter 7, verse 13 to the end of chapter 7 is the plea to enter the kingdom. When our Lord talks about entering by the narrow gate. So it's very important uh, this discourse on the kingdom of heaven, and it, it informs us about the entire message that our Lord is speaking here. Tonight, as I mentioned, we are in lesson four, and we're going to talk about righteousness. And it's a certain kind of righteousness. It's a righteousness that is beyond the scribes and the Pharisees. If we look back in verse 20, our Lord says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So in seeing that and understanding that he, he's come out of the Beatitudes where he's talked about um, the blessed state of those in the kingdom. And then he talks about the salt and the light, about being useful in the kingdom. And then he talks about... Um, he takes a moment to talk about how he came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. And now he's going to talk about righteousness and a certain level of expectation of righteousness. And he's going to use that to, to lead into what he will start talking about in chapter 6, about the application of, of the righteousness that he talks about here. But he's going to take the, the opportunity to set a few things straight. And as I mentioned, there's a certain level of righteousness that's expected of those who uh, are citizens of the kingdom. And as we saw, that, that righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Um, and otherwise, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So, 
in what he's saying here and setting the tone is that there's a certain level of righteousness. It has to exceed your expectations probably of what you have currently now. And if you don't do that, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. So there's an urgency about the message that our Lord is delivering here. And so one of the things he wants to do is set a few things straight here. And there's six teachings here in verses 21 through 48 that our Lord's going to address. And he's going to use this to demonstrate how righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He corrects what the righteous, in quotations there, had been teaching, which was really an oral tradition rather than that of the law. They started with the law, but then they took it to other places where God had not intended it to go. And he offers a more, a more excellent understanding uh, of these teachings. They're rooted in the law, as we'll see here as we go through these examples. But our Lord's going to make the application and, and make them see that um, there's a more excellent understanding. And it has to do with the, the letter and the spirit of the law, which we'll talk about here in just a moment. So let's begin by, by noticing something about each one of these. He, he's going to start off by saying some kind of derivation of this, usually these exact words, you have heard. If you look there in verse 21, it says, You have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever sh shall say to his brother Raka shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say you fool shall be guilty enough to, be, to go into the fiery hell. If therefore you are presenting your, offer to the, uh, your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you shall not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. Now this is kind of the framework that's going to serve in each one of these six accounts. You have heard this, but I tell you this. So let's look at this first one. You have heard that you shall not commit murder. So, is that right? <laughs> Absolutely, right? We, we, we mentioned that this morning in our lesson. Uh, one of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not murder. Simple, easy teaching. And the teaching that they had been uh, saying is, don't murder. And that's absolutely correct and fine. And this meets uh, the letter of the law, but not the spirit. We talk about this uh, in, our in some pre previous lessons. The letter of the law, that, that which is written down, that which God has, has put forth. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Those things found in the Ten Commandments and the, the rest of the law of Moses. But what they were missing is the spirit of the law. What, what it means, the, the meaning behind it. And carrying out um, the commandments thereof. They, they're not meeting the spirit of the law. So let's a little, understand a little bit about the spirit of the law. The hate towards someone, enough to speak ill against them and even murder them, is not befitting someone of the kingdom. And this is what our Lord is laying out here as he talks about 
really these three levels of anger. If you're angry with your brother, you're guilty before the court. That's one level. The next level he talks about if you call him, if you say to him raka, which means empty head or good for nothing. Then you're guilty before the Supreme Court, which is, in this case he's talking about the Sanhedrin. So you see there's a level, a progression here that our Lord is going through. If you're angry enough with your brother, you go before the court. If you call him a name, suggest something about him, empty-headed, good for nothing, then you take it to another level. And then finally he says if you're angry enough to call him a fool, he says that you're guilty enough for hell. So we understand the teaching behind that is that our Lord is saying, yes, murder is wrong. But there's something that leads to murder. In our legal system, we understand what murder means. Murder means killing someone intentionally, premeditated. So this is what our Lord is talking about here. There's some premeditation that leads up to that. And all that's wrong as well. This isn't befitting someone in the kingdom of heaven. And our Lord goes on to make an application here about... Um, this one who is on his way to court, he says to reconcile with, with this person before you get to court. Make things right with your brother before you get there. So the application is to make things right with your brother before you approach God. If I have something against Bill, I need to make that right. I need to make it right before I approach my God. In prayers and supplications, whatever that might be. I need to make those things right. We have a responsibility to each other as brothers to make things right. We need to settle things outside of court, shall we say, if you can. Because Jesus makes the application here that otherwise the judge is going to hold you fully accountable. If, we, if Bill and I don't reconcile on this earth, then when we stand before our judge and the Almighty God, then we're, we're going to be in trouble. It's too late then. We need to make these, the right concessions and work things out before that time comes. So all this goes back to the idea of the condition of the heart, enough to make a man murder somebody. That's taking it to the extreme, obviously, but these things need to be addressed before it gets that far. Let's read on. Next in verse 27 beginning, it says, you have, heard that it's, uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better that one part of your body perish than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it far from you. For it is better that one of your parts go of your body perish than for the whole body to, go to, uh, to burn in hell. Here we have another one. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And the teaching had been, don't lie with someone outside of the marriage. And that's still the teaching. That's still the teaching. That the marriage bed is to be undefiled. That adultery has no place in the marriage relationship. And that is the teaching. But again, what is missing here is the spirit of the law. They knew the letter. And they were teaching the letter of the law, but the spirit is being missed. So our Lord says, remember this, that looking at another woman with lust is also wrong. 
So here again, there's the progression. If, if, if adultery is, is here, then there's something that leads to that. And again, it's the condition of the heart that our Lord is preaching about and teaching about. And it's related to uh, the 10th commandment, which is coveting your neighbor's wife. So here he's, he's tying that back and, 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 and showing them that, you know, just looking upon another woman with lust, you're coveting after that, that woman. And that's wrong too. That's not befitting someone who is in the kingdom of God. Application from that is to understand what our Lord says here about tearing out your right eye or tearing off your right hand if it causes you to stumble. You think our Lord's being literal in this? I don't think so. But I think what he is telling you is that you need to take drastic action. Drastic action needs to be taken. Because if you tear out your right eye, you still have your left eye. If you cut off your right arm, your right hand, you still have your left hand. The Lord's not speaking about that uh, physically. He's not talking about literally. He's talking about taking drastic action. Whatever it is that's causing you to stumble, you need to cut that out of your life. It's better to be compromised than to perish. It's better to cut something out of your life, and that might have consequences. That might mean you have to quit a job. That means you might have to remove yourself from a relationship, a family or a friend. It might mean that you have to change something about your home life. Whatever it is, you need to take drastic action. It's better for you to be compromised than to perish. Continue our reading in verse 31. It says, And it was said, Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the cause of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So here's the teaching. You, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. And the teaching had been, divorce is okay as long as you give her a letter of divorce. But reality is that only adultery is a reason for divorce. And our Lord states it here. And he also states it over in Matthew 19. Turn over there for just a moment. Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> Verses 8 and 9. And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immoralities, and marries another woman, commits adultery. We know this well, don't we? Jesus reminds them it was because of their hardness of heart that Moses gave them the permission to have this certificate of divorce. But he reminds them, from the beginning, it hasn't always been this way. From the very beginning, when we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, when marriage is instituted, the simple rules were laid down. A man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife, be joined together with his wife. That's the relationship that was created, and that's the relationship that was to be sustained. Because of their hardness of hearts is what came along, and Moses allowed them to have this certificate of divorce where they could just write out something and give it to their wife and send her on their way. But Jesus is bringing them back to the spirit of the law. 
in that the marriage union is to be for life. And only for the reason of adultery can that marriage union be broken up unless one of the spouses dies. So the application part of it, back there in Matthew chapter 19, we read on down verse 10 through 12, the disciples said to him, if the, relation, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, it is better not to marry. And he said to them, Not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs that were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. He, is able to accept, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. So the application of what our Lord is saying is that it may not be an easy situation. This may be something that's difficult in someone's life. But it has to be this way. Just like that plucking out of the right eye and the cutting off of the right hand. Drastic action sometimes needs to be taken. And our Lord is just te teaching simply the truth here. Some can't take it. Some can't accept it. But the teaching is simple. Drastic action sometimes has to be taken. Back over in Matthew 5, picking up in verse 33, it says, Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, or by the throne of God, or by the earth, uh, or by the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the, of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, and anything beyond this is of evil. So you've heard it said, you shall not make false vows, but you shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. That's right, right? <laughs> That's right. You shall not make false vows. But the teaching has been, don't make vows you don't intend to keep, especially to the Lord. So there's a little bit of nuance in this, but follow me through, and hopefully we can, we can get to this. What's being said here is that they're establishing a hierarchy in this vow-making that has not been prescribed. As he goes through and talks about the different levels, make no oath at all, either by the heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool to his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So you see kind of a hierarchy here of, of vows. Well, I only, only vow, you know, by earth. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to up that vow and, and vow by heaven. But there's a hierarchy here that's been established and taught that's, that's really not prescribed. Look over in Matthew chapter 23. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 16, our Lord talks about this uh, in, in a little bit different way, but the, the application here, you'll see. Beginning verse 16 to Matthew 23. Woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold in the temple, he is obligated. You fools and blind men, which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? Or whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering upon it, he is obligated. You blind men, 
Which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears both by the altar and everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells within it. And he who swears by heaven swears both by the throne uh, of God and by him who sits upon it. So see, they're, they're, they're trying to, as the scribes and Pharisees were, were want to do, trying to, to work something in that wasn't prescribed. Trying to put their own take on some simple teachings. And our Lord is saying, look, What's more important here, the temple or the gold, the altar or the sacrifice upon the altar? And so the teaching that he has here in Matthew 5 is what we'll focus on is the application is that don't shift the vow away from your own character. You know, there's something important about um, living in the kingdom. Living in the kingdom means you're a child of God. And there's some credibility that should be ascribed to you and that you need to use that by what you swear by. That's where he says, let your yes be yes and your no, no. There's no need to swear by heaven if you are practicing righteousness befitting a a citizen of the kingdom of God. If I'm a citizen of the kingdom and I'm practicing what I I should be, living a righteous life, and I tell you, yes, that ought to be enough. I don't need to swear by anything else. I'm a child of God. I've told you this is what I'm going to do, or I've told you no in this sense. That ought to be enough. And so shifting the vow away from your own character, the Pharisees were good at that. They were good at shifting things and blame away from themselves and putting it on others. Our Lord is saying, put that back on yourself. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's something about your character. And that needs to come through. So if you're going to make any kind of oath at all, just make it simply yes, yes, and no, no. Just be yourself and and be that righteous citizen of the kingdom. Verse 38, picking up in our reading. You have heard it said... An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn him the other one also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's the teaching. And really what that boils down to is to take your own personal revenge. If someone wrongs you, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Take your own revenge. But the reality here from the original teaching is that there's a judge involved. That there is method involved. That there's a process by which they go through to get to this. And the penalty is to be meted out as a matter of judgment and penalty. Not just one taking his own personal revenge. This comes from Exodus chapter 21, beginning in verse 22. It says, If men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him. And he shall pay as the judge decide. 
But if there's further inquiry, then you shall appoint a penalty life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. In this, there, you see that there's a judge involved, that there's a coming together and a, a presenting of cases. This is what happened. And then it's meted out as a penalty for what has happened. The teaching that's gone wrong here is taking your own personal revenge. It's not supposed to be that way. We're not supposed to take our own revenge. We're supposed to come overcome evil with good. Look over in Romans chapter 12. <clears throat> we get a very clear picture of this in Romans chapter 12. As Paul here is, is talking about this kind of thing, about uh, one's personal responsibilities. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. If possible, so far as depends on you, live at peace with all men. There's our responsibility to be at peace with all men. And look what it says in verse 19. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's the teaching. Live, leave room for the wrath of God. Don't take your own personal revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. Let's pick back up in our reading. Beginning verse 43. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes, also the, uh, he causes his son to rise on the good and the evil, and sends forth rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So you have heard, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, there's some correction that needs to be made here. The teaching was, yes, love your neighbor, but it's okay to hate your enemy. Our Lord corrects that. And that goes against exactly what we just read over there in Romans chapter 12. So much as depends on you, live peaceably among men. And don't take your own revenge, your own vengeance. Leave room for the wrath of God. And this is quoted from Proverbs chapter 25, as Paul is quoting here. Proverbs 25, 21, and 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. You will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Does that sound like hating your neighbor? No, that sounds like overcoming evil with good. And that's the teaching that our Lord is trying to stress with them. Don't take your own vengeance. Live at peace with, with men as much as it depends on you. What application that comes from that simply is this, is to love your enemies too. And even pray for them. That's difficult, isn't it? It's, it's hard enough, we talked about this morning in our Bible class, sometimes it's, it's, it's hard to love our brethren, isn't it? Sometimes we make it hard on each other to love one another. 
But think about what our Lord is saying. Not just that, but you've got to love your enemies too. We even pray for them. And this is how we overcome evil with good. This is how we heap burning coals on their head. And it's, the reason here is because God blesses everyone to a certain extent. You know, Jesus says there that the sun shines on, on the good and the evil. It rains on the, on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. Everyone is blessed to a certain level. Just being a, a, a citizen of the world, being alive in, alive in this world. There are certain blessings that you enjoy because God has set forth these blessings. And also this, anyone can love someone back. Even the sinners do that. You know, even people in the world do that. If someone loves them, it's easy to love them back, isn't it? It's not as easy to love them when they're an enemy of you. They're trying to tear you down, whatever that might be. There's also something in this about um, not being shut off to outsiders. And I think brethren can, can fall into this. You know, we come in and close those doors and, and, and you know, this is our, our little club. And it ought not to be that way. There's lots of people out there in the world that need to hear the gospel. And the need to be shown love by someone else. And that's the responsibility that falls to us. You know, we have that passage in Galatians 6 and verse 10 about why we have opportunity to let us love all, especially those who are a household of faith. So we have a responsibility to love all those in the world, do good to all, especially those who are in the household of faith. Yes, our brethren come first, but we still have that responsibility to the whole world to show them kindness and to do good for them. And then... Our Lord concludes this section, verse 48. Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So God blesses everyone to a certain extent. We've got to love people. Anybody can love someone back. We've got to love even our enemies and pray for them. And we can't be shut off to outsiders. And then Jesus makes the point that God is perfect. That he's complete. And what's the, what's the charge to us? To be perfect as he is perfect. So the things that he does, we have to imitate that. And that's the standard that we're held to. And that comes back to what, where we began about a certain level of righteousness that we are expected to, to be held to as a citizen of the kingdom. It takes us back to verse 20, chapter 5. For I say to you, Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus has laid out these teachings and reminded them, look, here's, here's the spirit behind the law. And there's a level of righteousness that's expected of you as a citizen of the kingdom. That's why it's okay for you to say yes, yes, and no, no. Because there's that level of righteousness that's expected. I don't need to swear by anything higher than that. My character needs to come through. So there's that level of righteousness that's expected of God's children. Be perfect. Be complete like God. And that leads us into what we'll talk about next time. 
in chapter 6 about practicing your righteousness. Jesus has laid out some, uh, some standards here, laid down the, uh, the course here that he's going to take. And so he gets in chapter 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So he's setting the stage for what he's going to talk about next. And we'll talk about that next time we're together. I hope you see that these lessons through, um, through the Sermon on the Mount have that thread that goes through about the kingdom of heaven. Begins with it. It's so important in our Lord's teaching as he, as he begins. The kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? And it's important. And these, these teachings will, will be peppered throughout his, the rest of his ministry. These ideas that he's laying down now. That there's a level of expectation that our Lord has for us as his children. We offer an invitation as we always do at the end of our time. If you have um, something that we can help you with, you can make that known. If you're not a child of God and would like to become one or like to study further, we can help you with that as well. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand to sing to encourage you.